Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Distraction Pieces Podcast, episode 228. I've completely had a guess at the number there. I'm just checking on my phone. Yes, it's right. That's good news, isn't it? Um, I'm joined this week by Drew Pierce, and it was an absolute joy. Drew had a film out this year called Hotel Artemis, and it blew me away. I absolutely adored it. Um, I got to go to a preview of it. I'd seen the trailer and heard the concept and seen all the people who was in it from Sophia Batella, Charlie Day and Dave Batista and Luminic, Jodie Foster. And then there was more people who I wasn't that familiar with. And yeah, I'd heard the concept that it's basically a hotel that is a private member's hotel that is a hospital for, for criminals. And just the concept alone I loved. And then I watched the film and was blown away and I hassled drew on social media to come and chat with me on the podcast and i'm delighted i did because i've had a few this year where i've met someone for the first time and you've got to remember i hope it doesn't come across or change the interviews too much but you've got to remember that i'm full in on acting now and i adore this industry so it's super exciting if i have someone on who is someone that's on my list of people i'd love to work with and i feel there's an instant a connection i had it um, on the week before last episodes with Bart Layton, um, Coralie Farge earlier this year and Alan Hughes earlier this year. And yeah, in the past, all sorts of people. But um, yeah, Drew was was one of them. He's someone that uh, I'm a fan of his work and would like to work with in the future. And it's always a good sign when, when you meet, it is just comfortable and relaxed. Because I genuinely, my l- limited experience of this of this film industry is that it's there's it's 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 a long and tiring game to make films and to make TV. So genuinely getting on with people helps. Do you know what I mean? So so you there is an urgency or a desire to work with people not only that are super talented and right for the roles and all this kind of thing, but also that extra element of being able to imagine spending time with them or getting on with them and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, it's a fascinating one and I, I love it. I should mention that you guys have been amazing in this last week. Last week I announced I've launched a Patreon and my Patreon, all you do is it's 80p a month or a dollar a month um, and that's it. There's no tiers or deals or trying to tempt you to more. It's simply if you wish to support the podcast, my script writing, all these other things to allow me to continue to do it without ever looking at the the dollar value of a guest, of a subject or whatever else, just doing what's interesting and right, then uh, yeah, yeah, you can go and you can go and chip in there. And s- someone asked me recently, um, s- since I launched it, they said, oh, it's great news that you've done this, but why what's changed your mind on it? Cause because people have been asking me for years to do a patron patron themselves hit me up like within the first year or two of them coming up or coming about and asked me to, if I'd like to join. And I, 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 it, it wasn't a, 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 a for me, but to explain, I've never been against Patreon. It's why I've actively pushed the hardcore list in Patreon, uh, the Lemmy L- L- one, numerous other, other patrons. Um, but for me, I've never wanted to make my living off of a kind of a donation type 
set up. And that's just a personal choice. And I continue on that. Um, I realised I didn't really explain when I announced it last week. I kind of touched on it, but all of the money from the Patreon goes directly into my business. And the business is what pays for travel and stuff like that for the podcast. Say I need to go away and do some writing or go away and do some some active meetings and stuff like that. It funds all of that. So none of it is paying my mortgage or my electric bills. That is all paid by sponsors. And I've always said from day one, I like having sponsors because they mean that you guys get the podcast for free. Um, I'd rather they pay, you know, my bills (laughs) and you guys get the podcast for free. But this is just giving you that option if you want to pay the ATP or... um, a pound a month so yeah that money goes into the business and then that can um help pay B- B- buddy peace who produces the podcast uh john who runs the s- a s- a social media john harris and stuff like that and people along the way and also it kind of opens things up to i've always been at the mercy of the guests are a case of who's in town or when i'm in town and if the patreon takes off then it means I can travel to people more or pay for people to travel here, put them up in hotels, all that kind of thing. All the stuff that basically big companies like the BBC or whomever else, they have all of that stuff. That's all part of their infrastructure. And it's mad that the Distraction Pieces podcast is now a rubbing sh- shoulders over all of these. As I mentioned on the on the Spike Lee one, it, the only people who got to chat to him on that day was the BBC Jonathan Ross, who was just launching his new huge show on ITV, um, and me, and, and Blind Boy. And it's mad that just two podcasters are getting to, to mix in that. But yeah, I want to be able to to fund all of that and, and, and push these things through. Um, as I've said, I always like people... Um, my preferred way for making more kind of my preferred my my way of making money in the past has always been it's why i'm very creative on my merch and stuff like that because i like the exchange of here's some money for something and i've always been as anyone who's been to, to speech development records.com will know i'm creative with stuff there um but yeah that was the idea of the patron so if you head to patreon.com slash pip you can become um a patron it shows how new i am to it i was banging on last week that the only option is 80p a dollar a month that's it that's all you can pay but i didn't know that on any tier admittedly i said i've only got one tier so that is the only default option but on any tier you can overpay so it's been beautiful to see a handful of people paying more than that even though i hadn't said that was an option just choosing to pay two dollars a month or three dollars a month or four dollars a month the reason i said i've not had any extra tiers or added any of that is because of the existence of Netflix and Amazon Prime and Spotify and stuff like that. And this is sounding weird. I'm going off on a little weird mental tangent here. But I honestly don't believe that if I charge you a fiver a month or whatever Netflix is, there's no way I can offer the content that, the, the, that they can offer. So I will feel I'm, I'm ripping you off there. Whereas 80p a quid a month just to support all of the different projects and art, I, I get that. And that's cool. So yeah, if you want to pay more, you can. But... That's how it's all set up. Um, you set your subscription up and then you forget about it and you will never remember or notice that $1 a month going out. But it will help fund tons of cool shit. 
that I'm working on, and that would be that would be cool. Again, also I said when I started it, I'm not going to be doing anything on there. There's nothing that's just for patrons. I'm a curious little beast. Um, I've already started doing a few posts and that because I was overwhelmed by, you know, a few hundred people straight off the bat have jumped on board. That's mad. Again, you could argue that there's tens of thousands who listen. (laughs) So that means there's tens of thousands who've chosen not to chip in their quid a month. But still, I'm focusing on the on 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 the good news. Um, yeah, hundreds of people just straight in. So I've done some posts that I realised that, um, for example, most episodes I'll take a digital f- photo as well as the Polaroid in case the Polaroid doesn't work. But because I've recorded them all far in advance, I forget I've taken that and and, ne- and never end up posting it. So I'm posting a few of, of them up there for the Patreons. Um, I'm doing a few kind of behind-the-scenes stories of all sorts of, of different things. So, yeah, I'll post on there every now and then. But, again, that's not the point of it. The point is just if you want to chip in, you can. I just got excited because I realised that a social media platform that's that I've only got, you know, a few hundred people on, it's far easier to read everything and interact and not miss anything than, obviously, on Twitter I've got, you know, a hundred and something thousand and on instagram it's it's 50 something thousand and so on and so forth so it's harder to keep up on everything there whereas it's quite cool to have this condensed here's the streamlined um team 3w hardcore fans So, so that's it i'll probably keep mentioning it but it's nice if anyone wants to chip in as said um patreon.com Slash Scribius Pip, it's just a dollar a month, unless you choose to overpay, which would is fine too. But um, as I said, on your head be it, because I'm not... The idea of it being kept cheap is that you do it and you forget about it. And if it's a five or a month, you know, a lot of people will notice that. You know, these things add up, bills add up, life's... It's a forever hard hustle. Whereas I genuinely believe most people who... I've got kind of the technology to be listening to podcasts and stuff like that. I'm not disrespecting anyone here, but most people who who ingest the 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 content I put out wouldn't necessarily notice one dollar a month um hugely and I don't mean that to be insulting if it sounds like I'm saying um money means nothing but yeah anyway jeez i'm over overthinking all of this as ever you'll be able to hear more of that on my patreon. Yeah, this so this is Drew Pierce, and it's it's a cracking episode. He's a cracking dude. I really enjoyed it. I'll be back at the end with more information. I've got a lot of good guests coming up. Um, who have I got next week? I think next week I'm going straight in with Dolan and Sage. Let me have a quick look before we get into the podcast, because I know some of you don't listen to the post-podcast uh, bits of information. So, no. Oh, next week is possibly the best podcast I've done this year which considering i've had the professor green one this year and the and the chili gonzalez one this year both of which at the time i claimed were the best of the year i mean i've also had martin freeman and simon Pegg this year and the kate nash one was amazing and just tom god there's been some good ones but um next week is is angel grufia grufia I'm going to listen and get her name right in the end. It's G-U-I-F-F-R-I-A. And she's on on social media. And she's absolutely amazing. 
honestly, it's going to blow your minds. It's it's a really strong podcast. So that's next week, um, and then the, 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 then I'll have Sage and Dolan on, and then yeah, a load more exciting and wonderful guests to come. Until then, this is episode two hundred and twenty-eight of the Distraction Pieces podcast with the one and only Drew Pierce. Absolutely. I'll do the podcast thing and start rolling. Please do. And, and continue. We were just talking about kit and, and podcast going wrong. Or well, not seeing your backup reminded me of a story that I genuinely don't think... I maybe have never told. Right. I don't even know if I've told my wife. Yeah. Because um, uh, it was genuinely one of the most embarrassing situations of my life. Yeah. Um, which was, when I was at university, I did, like, you know, a bunch of band interviews backstage and stuff yeah. like that. And I met with... What's his name? I'm going to get his name wrong. Martin Rossiter, the lead singer of Gene. Yes. Yeah, was yes. that his name? Yeah, it Very was. Very well put together chap. Um, yeah. I liked their first single, I recall. Um, and so... He oh, lives yeah. in Brighton now, I believe. Oh, does he? There we go. I was, I was listening to a podcast yesterday, <laughs> off the beat and track. Oh, no, it's Hardcore Listing, and uh, Preston from The Ordinary Boys was on, and he was saying how up the road is G- <laughs> is is the lead singer of Gene. Oh, there's so, like yeah. a 90s strange, Indian cul-de-sac. Yeah, strange combination, yeah. Um, but so basically, I oh know it was for, it was for like the, it was for the TV station, um, uh, at my university. And so I went down there and we'd like, we'd, we'd got a pub basement, much like this. Yeah. And, um, we were sitting down and we went to start and then the cameraman just leaned in and just went, forgot the tape. And I was like, Mate. you forgot the tape. I was like, I've forgotten it, completely forgotten it. And so I made an odd decision, which was I simply continued with a 20-minute interview oh, wow. with no tape in the, the machine, just praying that he didn't know what the light on the camera did. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and then just, and just styled it out. And it was, I was honestly so horrific. It's genuinely, that's the most comfortable a, reaction. Just yeah. to go, let's just keep going let's and pretend do I don't let's know. Push if, on through. If he hadn't told me... Then we would deal with it at the end and go, oh, it hasn't worked. This is terrible. Now he's told me, I wish, I wish you hadn't. I'd rather you hadn't said anything. <laughs> exactly. Because I had one, I had, I had the wrestler Chris Jericho on my podcast. Right. And he's got a big podcast as well. And literally we got, thankfully it was only t- 10 minutes in. I was recording it at the studios at XFM. Right. Because I used to have a radio show there. And they'd, 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 they'd let me record my podcast there a while after I'd left. And I got 10 minutes in, he was telling a really good story, and I looked and noticed it, it wasn't recording. Oh. And I was like, I'm just going to let him get to the end of this story, and then start saying something, and then notice. So I, I kind of faked my <laughs> noticing, because I was like, I don't want to interrupt, but oh, equally, I don't want to be I'm like, surprised. I'm letting him talk and not sounding. So I was like, also, I just want to say, oh, hang on. Oh, oh, this has gone wrong. It's frozen. I'm going to have to oh, reboot. I had, and I had the horrible thing, because I was like 18 or whatever. <laughs> And like his management, uh, you know, came up at the end. Gene's manager and was like, oh, that was a great, that's maybe the best TV interview they've done. Can Mate. you send us the tape? And I'm like, yeah, of course, totally. Mate. I mean, student, student TV. So it's, it's not like we yeah. were held to any particularly but high still, standard. still it means something. I mean, it, 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 the it, standard it, of having a tape there, maybe. Yeah, we would exactly. Be, uh, that's a decent healthy. standard. But it introduces us nicely. I should mention I'm joined today by Drew Pierce. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks um, for having me. And I'm very excited about this because... It, 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 it leads on nicely there, because I don't talk about this much on the podcast, but because, so a year or two ago, 
about a year ago, I did, did my first podcast at a press junket. I generally don't do them because I need a longer amount of time. Right. So, for example, again, it's, it's relevant to this. I'm currently lined up to have Dave Batista on in a couple of weeks. Oh. But it's one of them where they're going, we're going to have to see how... Because I'll, if, I, if it's less than half an hour, I have to pass. Even if it's someone like yeah, Batista who... I'm a wrestling fan, I'm a film fan, I'm, you know, all of this, he's, he's right for it. But if it's not the right amount of time, I'd rather that slot go to someone else. Yeah, so I did my first ones a year or so ago, and it was J- James McAvoy and Michael Fassbender and Eddie Izzard were my first three, and they're oh. all great. And all of them, purely by, or, no, it's, it's Michael Fassbender and Eddie in particular, the talent and the actual production companies it was their favourite interviews of that press run. So it's got me on kind of the on thumbs the up good list. So <laughs> it means that I spend a lot of my time at the moment going to, to previews of films. Right. So I, they all hit me up and there's every week it's like there's a few films on. So if I can make it, I'll go along. Because, again, I like to have big names, but also like just stuff that's, that, that's good. Yeah. And, and one of the previews I went to was your new film, your directorial debut, a, a Hotel Artemis. And it blew me away. I absolutely oh, thanks, adored man. it. So it was great to kind of, to line this conversation up as such. Like I, I literally, I came out of it and messaged Sophia Bertella immediately, who I've had on the podcast right. previously, just with sheer excitement. And yeah. It was <laughs> I mean, just, she's amazing in the movie. Amazing. Absolutely. And so, so how has it been? I mean, I want to get into the minutiae of it all yeah, as we go sure. along. We'll avoid spoilers because I think it's an easy one to avoid spoilers because there's so much to talk about that isn't spoiling anything. Absolutely. Um, Plus, to be fair, every single commercial for it spoiled yeah. pretty much the entire movie. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, but, um, so how's it been having your directorial day? Like, again, we'll get into at the end, like you've, you've written a lot in the past and you've got a decent amount of experience, but this is your first, this was, was your baby as such and you've put together an amazing cast and... It, it just feels like, as it ended, I thought you must have had so many moments of sheer joy. The, the completing of the writing and knowing you've got something good, then getting that amazing cast, then finishing shooting it and going, it looks brilliant. And then, do you know what I mean? It coming out and being oh, going well. Moments so, of joy. So how's it been? Moments of joy. Let me remember if there were any of those. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, it's interesting. Um, it was, as you say, it's my directorial debut. Yeah. I've... Um, I've been, you know, lucky enough to be writing big movies uh, in America for like the last eight or nine years. Yeah, I'm um, like, as you, like Iron Man and, yeah. and Mission Impossible. But with this first movie as a director, I wanted to do something that was a bit more handmade and a bit more of me, yeah. really. Um, and um, and so so yeah, so that's how Hotel Artemis came about. Um, I. You know, a little idea in a notepad seven or eight years ago turned into a whole film. And truthfully, I didn't even really expect it to come out in cinemas. Wow. Um, The thing is, it's got this amazing starry cast, you know, like Jodie. I mean, it's just an insane cast. Everyone in it is a movie star. Um, But it was made for absolutely fuck all money. Yeah, Um, it's got the feel of an indie indie. that everyone's pulling together. Yet it's got the the glow of, of... of a Hollywood well, yeah, and I, because and of the cast. To a degree, I think that's maybe confused some people as well. I think right. some people have walked in expecting it sometimes to be a thing that it isn't. Yeah. And, you know, I think it's more in the lineage of the little films that probably you grew up with like me, like the kind of 
the original Terminator rather than Terminator yeah. 2, you yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. which is really just a story about three people running around yeah. downtown LA one night. Yeah. Um, uh, or Repo Man or all of those kind of Alex 100%. Cox videodrome, you know, kind yeah. of, um, uh, movies. Is that a slight, a slight look into the future, but a grubby, grimy future? Yeah, a grubby, still. grimy future. And also like, and also just as a style of film, there was that weird, I don't know. I think we're, the, this is this is all going to kind of sound bigger than it is in a strange way. But yeah. I think we're in an interesting place in the culture where even our more, like even the more obscure movies need to kind of the audience needs them to be very streamlined. And yeah. um, and I wanted to make something that still had all the kind of bumps on it, really. Yeah. Um, to literally in that, like there are a few camera moves in the movie which are um, uh, which I could have digitally like smoothed out because there's like little um human error yeah. in them and i was like Do you know what it's not that film it's that it should have a handmade quality to it so. and that's what i loved about it and i think you're right there there is a weird pressure at the moment for every film <sighs> to be the best film ever but i don't mean that as in the best to be the, the biggest and most explosive particularly if anything sets slightly in the future and yeah I feel, right um i really enjoyed um mute I thought Mute was, re- was really good fun. I thought it was dark and weird. But because people, I feel some of the negative response was because you're going in expecting a futuristic sci-fi, a Hollywood blockbuster. But it's, it is, it's a gritty, weird, uncomfortable little indie film. personal that, that story. Moves at weird way. paces. <sighs> yeah, totally. That's what I loved about it. But um, that kind of, people go in like, right, no, this has to be. A blockbuster, yeah. Or some and, sort. and by the way, that's you know that's not necessarily people's fault. I mean, it's, yeah. it's slightly how it's sold as well. Completely, but, um, it's the marketing of, yeah, of, of and, the day. Yeah, and actually, truthfully, like in the UK, I think it was marketed um, uh, really well. Yeah. Compared, in the states, it was genuinely like, oh, this is the new John Wick, and it's like, well, no. I mean, right. there's only about three and a half minutes of fighting in the the whole film. It's yeah. more like, as you say, like a dark, twisty, grimy kind of but quite talky movie. Yeah. It's, it was one of the reasons that Completely. I kind of designed it as my first film is I was like, I'll get this bunch of characters and then I'll like pair them off in different interesting combinations and see what happens when they yeah. rub up against each other. Yeah. But, um, but that all that said, I mean, like uh, I definitely don't have any complaints about that. And I think uh, it was funny. Like um, I was saying this to someone last night, I went around, I did like, you know, 600 interviews promoting the movie in yeah. every, like, in all the territories it's coming out. And in all of them, I was very clear that, like, in my day job, you know, writing big, really big films, yeah. you know, we try and shoot for something great, but on a base level, um, uh, they have to be okay for everyone, of right? Of course. And, and so I went around saying that and then saying... Uh, and for my first movie, I wanted to make something that wasn't just okay for everyone. It was one person's favorite movie. Yeah. And like, that kind of sounded like shtick in the end, but it was absolutely true. It was no, the I mantra that me and, me and Adam Siegel, who was the producer, went into the movie with. Um, but what's really weird is then the movie came out in the States and it's lots of people's favorite movie, which is fantastic, but not everyone liked it. Right. And I was like, oh, why doesn't everyone like it? And I hadn't even been listening to the culture of like, needing everything to be liked by everyone is so pervasive. It's like I hadn't even heard my own words. It's so easy to slip into it when you're in any of those b- big industries, though. I yeah. remember when when uh, I first started doing music, 
our style was so unlike anything else. It was meant to be yeah. off the side, but it happened that our first single got in the charts. Absolutely. So suddenly I was like, so why don't they all like the third single? And this and that, it's, yeah. it's the same it's, thing. It's a weird trap. It's also a weird trap because I, I mean, I don't know, maybe all the artists have, have always felt like that. But there's a part of me that's like, again, to talk about Repo Man, like there were maybe two of us um, at my school that liked Repo Man. Yeah. And no one else had heard of it. And if they did see it, they were like, this is fucking weird. I hate it. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And that was not only a badge of honor for us, but I suspect Alex Cox didn't care yeah. whether yeah. anyone uh, liked it or not. He made the movie for him. But maybe he didn't. Maybe he was like, why wasn't this bigger? It's, it's an intriguing one. And it definitely feels like an interesting... It feels like it's a part of a wider move in the culture. Again, without wishing to sound like, you know, like banging a drum that I read in think pieces all the time. Yeah. Like the kind of thumbs up or thumbs down algorithm culture that is literally just a thing is either good yeah. or it is bad and there is nothing in between. Completely. And there is a, and there's a, there's a, there's a kind of hive mind opinion. Um, none of, none of my favorite pieces of art, whether it was a film, piece of music, you know, have ever, certainly when they came out, yeah. um, uh, been everybody's cup of tea. And it's funny because when you're actually on the promotional trail, like promoting a movie, particularly yeah. when someone brilliant like Warner Brothers is putting it out in England. Yeah. You can't really say that in an interview. Yeah. You can't, you, it's, it somewhat goes against the spirit of or, them putting you in an interview room for you to go, I love it. A bunch of people I know really love it. Might not be your cup of tea. I can't the, tell until you go see it. Uh, the slogan of the record label I started, uh, Speech Development Records, is, we may not be for you and that's fine. <laughs> and, 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 and that's literally it. It sums yeah. up, it's my outlook on all things, even on the, on the, the podcast front. I'll have a lot of people who love it. I'll have a, someone every now and then who's like, I don't like this about it or that about it and I'll kind of be like that's that's okay there's I'm there's happy. loads of podcasts out there I'm like you know, the, I'm like the proof of concept for you I'm like the one where people are like oh I really love Martin Freeman I really yeah. love Simon Pegg <laughs> I have no fucking idea who this Drew Pierce bloke is um uh, but maybe you know and I'm okay with that too so I, I, I love it though and 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 it is a weird thing there's also a weird thing in society these days of of constant comparison and mm. it's worse of all when there's sequels or franchises yep. deadpool who is it as good as deadpool one i don't know i really enjoyed it <laughs> i enjoyed it is what i'm yeah. telling you i'm telling yeah, you yeah. it's good is it is good it's uh, the, the argument i came up or when the, the deadpool came out i was doing a podcast with some mates because i raved about deadpool and a few people were like is it as good as guardians and i was like well <laughs> I don't know. It's an entirely different film. Oh, that was it. Um. <laughs> is it as good as ice cream? Is it as good? Is it as good as blowjobs? I don't know. It's they're, they're, they're all by the way, that are great. And, but... and by the way, you've set a very high bar for any movie. There I know. is it as good as ice cream or blowjobs? I, I mean, but again, that's it. It's the stupid comparisons that yeah. people like to to, uh, to, uh, to put in there. So, uh, I mean, do you th- what do you think? Do you think it is because like? because of a certain algorithm culture. Do you think it is that thing that, like, you know, post-web, everything is, like, is ranked and, you know, put into lists? I think it's a combination of that and the fact that people now feel pressure to have an opinion on everything. And the easiest route to have an opinion is comparing to something else. It's why all the... And put a number on it. The not-as-good music journalists, it'll always be... 
the, they're the new this or they're the new that or they're the new whoever rather than talking about who they are. Do you know what I mean? There'll that's always it. be that comparison. I so think that's it's an easier way to express thing. an opinion, right? Like yeah. a less eloquent way yeah. of uh, yeah. expressing an it's opinion. It's like this or it's like that yeah. or, or, and so on and so forth. But, well, which is weird as well because then the trouble is if you make something, and I'm not saying that like uh, my movie is like, is um, entirely original and you've never seen anything like yeah, it. It's yeah, not yeah. a Gaspar Noé film. Yeah, but, yeah. Um, but I do think it purposefully doesn't fit inside any particular genre box. Yeah. And I think maybe that also plays into a certain discomfort in, in, in a modern audience sometimes. It's the same with, I don't know if you know this about like um, uh, modern movie trailers, yeah. but the, the way they're cut now, uh, nine times out of ten, is that the audience don't want to be teased by a trailer. Yeah. They want to see the whole movie in the trailer. It's madness. And it's not actually... It's, a, it's basically, a, again, a proof of concept. Yeah. It's literally like, show me the thing I, that I should spend my money on. I, I, I only... For years now, I only watch trailers in the cinema ever right. at all. Just because if I'm g- going to get things spoiled, I'd rather still have it in that big impact... <laughs> yeah, that's right. ...than on my phone. It's like... Because I genuinely... I've talked about this before, but... Uh, the second, no, the third Dark Knight film. Yeah. With Bane in, I thought it was good, but it didn't have any of the impact of the last two because the most beautiful, amazing scene in the in the football stadium. Yeah. I'd seen on the trailer. He has so, the voice of an angel. And, and that's it, it was amazing. It is my favourite scene it's as well, actually. It's an amazing scene, but I'd already seen it. And I'd already seen the plane scene in the trailer. So that's it was right, like yeah. The two big impact things weren't impactful because that got me excited for the film. Yeah. Do you think that is the, it's harder to get people into the cinema. Uh, yeah. So people are having to go, here's everything. Yeah. Look, to uh, really reel them in. I think it, and it's not even reeling them in. I think it's almost like, here is the exact thing that you can go and here's see. What you're you can see. have more of it, yeah. but like, this is the exact thing you're going to see. Um, is that enough to take you out of your living room and your Amazon Prime and your yeah. and your Netflix and go to a cinema? Yeah. Um, and I, I think it really... By the way, maybe that's okay. Yeah. It's just, I think... I mean, even in the time of making Artemis, the, essentially the two years of kind of genuine production and releasing it, and that's yeah. the shortest period of time you can essentially make a movie like yeah. it has in. Even in that time, the landscape changed. Yeah. So, so fast. Even in the time since, like, someone bought it in March. You know, I don't think by, you know, we're recording this, you know, at the end of July. I think by October, the consensus will be with, like, major movie studios that unless there is a genuine reason for a movie to be in a theatre, that they just won't bother. I think you're right. And, And I think it's constantly changing and it's scary. Yeah, it's a weird one. It means that... Good films, and I uh, no, or not good because I love a blockbuster as yeah, well. Me too. I love the superhero I mean, I movies. I fucking love, I love my, this, so. both my jobs. Yeah, making so, small movies and like making big movies. Yeah, and it's it's one of them. But the, it means that the the more artistic movies are only ever going to be made as passion projects, yeah. which makes them a lot harder to yeah uh, to be and, made. And, and also, their scale is yeah. is instantly you know um, affected. I mean, the, I think the the. I've been doing the list myself, you know, because it's kind of like, well, what do I want to make as my next directorial movie? Um, And definitely as a, as a 40 year old, you just now have to let go of the idea that every movie you make will be a theatrical movie. Yeah. And and honestly, if you ask me now about Hotel Artemis, should it have been, you know, in theaters? I mean, 
I'm unbelievably glad it was because it was designed for theatres and um, and you know my cinematographer is Chung Hoon Chung who yeah. who did the original Old Boy and does all of Director Park stuff. Yeah. So it looks sumptuous and it was designed for a big 100%. screen. But like I honestly think its main audience will be in streaming. I think it I will agree. be a f- like it's like a midnight movie. It's yeah. like. It's a come back from the pub and watch it for the fourth time kind of movie. Because you know? that's it. The the thing that blew me away the most about it, and it's interesting because I've, I'm I'm writing a load of scripts at the moment, and one of them has been optioned by Warp, and it's a TV show. And again, it's a similar one where yeah. we've gone to certain channels and they've said, "Oh, it's a 10 p.m. show. We've got them at the moment." Yeah. And I've literally said to Warp, "We'll go back in six months because 10 p.m. shows." Already don't exist now, but aren't going to exist in ten months. It's, <laughs> so it's going to be time is you don't irrelevant. Have that. Exactly, yeah, yeah. You, you record it. It yeah. finds its audience. Absolutely. It. So it's a similar thing no, there, of the speed of that. But on 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 the on the film front, one of the things that excited me about it, and it's it's instantly the guy I'm writing an, a, a feature film with. I sent him to go and see Hotel Artemis because it's a similar thing where, as a concept alone, it, it sells. Mm-hmm. It's it's a private members club hospital for criminals yeah. that that simple as a one line you're like that's that's amazing why hasn't this been done but then what made it special was you didn't coast on that like no. it would have been easy to go and it's what m- most of the the classic b movies have been yeah we've got an idea let's just start filming it Do you know what <laughs> i mean and and, and 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 that's what didn't happen here is and by the I, way i think I, some of the audience would have preferred yeah. if i'd done that because Re- really yeah, it's a movie that. about a little old it's like a fairy tale about a little old lady and her grief and like her the the way she's worked out her grief cycle for 22 years and again it 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 puts someone with anxiety issues at the forefront and at no point kind of makes it slapstick or comedy it's always dramatic and that's what i loved about it i'd I'd heard the idea i'd seen i love dave batista i love you know jeff goldblum everyone involved it was like this is an amazing cast so I was up for it on that respect. And then when I actually w- w- watched it, I was like, wow, it had more than I wanted. Oh. You know what I mean? It had all of that. It had the intimacy of the cat. Or uh, I've not even mentioned Ch- Ch- Charlie Day yet, who's just ah, amazing. So he is. Again, it, it had all of these actors and it felt, yeah, exactly as you said, you had these, this amazing cast that you could then, rather than just speed through a story, uh, you could put them and see how they interact and, and, yeah, and see I mean, how they change each other's perspectives and, and things like honestly, that. Honestly, that was the kind of, that was the point of the film. Um, yeah. uh, and that was how I was able to make it because, you know, if it had had more than five minutes of action, I wouldn't be able to afford it. You yeah. know, it's yeah. a, it's a little it's movie. A it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's like a bubble episode, you know, yeah. it's, um, uh, and of course, like, you know, John Carpenter was the, was the master of making, uh, lock-in movies, essentially, yeah, yeah. you know, in like Precinct 13 and in uh, The Thing. Yeah. Um, but I also, I don't know, you remember that thing when in the video shop, if it was a good video shop, curated by someone awesome and yeah. a bit weird, yeah. like they would put Diva or Subway or something like that, yeah, like yeah, next yeah, to Star yeah. Wars. Yeah, and yeah, so, yeah, yeah. and the, the cases were so evocative and the, um, the, you know, even as a 12-year-old, you might end up, watching what's essentially like a French art house sci-fi movie just because the one you came in to buy was gone. Yeah. There was a space there and you were like, well, that one's next to it. Um, and I wanted 
yeah, I, I, as a first movie, as a director, I just wanted it to have that kind of the flavor of those kind of movies growing up. But maybe also, you know, one of the things I've considered in the last few weeks is, well, all my reference points for the movie were things I saw on video when I was yeah. a kid. And maybe that's the point. Maybe like Netflix is the equivalent of the thing you see on video rather than goes to the cinema. To yeah, so, yeah, completely. So it's, I mean, it's, and you know, it's my job to, to write and direct films. So I probably am thinking about this at the moment a lot more than most yeah. people are. Most people are just like, well, what's on? All right, I'll go and see that. Yeah, it makes oh, tons it's fucking of sense. Hot. Maybe I'll go to a cinema. Yeah, but it's, it's, it's a tough one because again, I'm adamant fan of the cinema. I believe too. that things should be in there. And I, I go s- several t- times a month and I have to travel into London for anything good and all <laughs> yeah, that. Right. But it means the world. So it saddens me that there's going to be a point that things aren't going in that way. But it also, I understand it and it makes sense. And it means yeah. that people will be able to continue to take risks in in film which yeah. is more important i guess it than, is. Than, than, than where it's watched as much as the cinema means to me the fact that people will still be able to take risks because of the kind of i think that's right approaches. and i think it's the difference between like being a grumpy old person about technology changing things yeah. and and actually trying to listen to the change in medium and changing storytelling to go with it yeah. you know like it, it's a bit like you were saying, like in the same way that there won't be any, you know, 10 p.m. shows in six months' time because time is irrelevant, yeah, you know, completely. Um, when it comes. But, you know, uh, who's to say how long a story should be? A story yeah. should just be the length it is, particularly if it's on Netflix because it's not Couldn't about. I agree more. And that's actually my problem with a lot of, you know, golden era TV is I think it still stretches out its stories. You yeah. know, one of the things I loved about doing Hotel Artemis night and that I love about films is they're more like a short story. They're like a novella. Like they have very much a kind of, you know, uh, you're in that world very hermetically. Um, and I think that's the other thing about the cinema experience and God, like all of the research says this is changing. You know, when I've got, when you sit down in the cinema and you know, the lights go down, I've kind of got you for 90 minutes. I mean, if you need a wee, you can leave, but I'm hoping you don't. Yeah. And obviously, that's, you know, and Hotel Artemis is like 92 minutes long. And I love, Perfect. I love yeah. a, a bullet of a movie. Yeah. But, um, but, but all the evidence at the moment, research-wise, suggests that, um, that one of the reasons that people resent going to the cinema, other than for like giant, giant blockbusters, is because they're so used to being able to control the viewing experience. They feel uncomfortable um, yeah. not being able to pause it, yeah. not being able to exert their own control on... The narrative of like that. their I don't two think hours. They deserve control. <laughs> it, it, it should be in the hands of those who've crafted this story and painted it. It, it. it does infuriate me. Like again, it's it's an ongoing thing. I'll get annoyed with my mum or my dad if I'm ever around there and we're watching something, and they'll they'll get up to go to the toilet. But like, you know, this is still on, and this is this is happening. And you'll, you'll and, miss a bit. <laughs> and from your point of view, if you think about the minutia of things that went back and forth on the edit yeah. that you were like, no, we need to extend that it's a like tiny bit friends, and change that. And it's friends. like the effort that's gone in there <laughs> and someone even turning away to take a drink, I'm furious with. It's like, just pay <laughs> attention. Then, and it's why I love the cinema because it's so there and so unavoidable. And then maybe, maybe the answer to all of this is the, the movies that now belong in the cinema are the ones that demand you to do that. Yeah. Um, uh, it's one of the reasons I loved Quiet Place yeah. this year is that was like a, 
physical experience. I was in a cinema with a bunch of people. I went on like the Friday afternoon that it came out. And by the way, even though that movie was a really big hit, it was still like a cinema with only 25 people in it, yeah. which yeah. always blows. Like, it, that's the thing that makes me sad is when I go yeah. to a cinema on a Friday night or something, and yeah. it's like, it's a big movie and it's doing well. And there's still only like 18 people it's in killer, there. It's killer, isn't it? But, um, but what I loved about A Quiet Place was that it was a physical experience that everyone in the cinema went through. Yes. Because even someone eating popcorn threw you off the movie yeah. and pissed everyone else off in the in the yeah. theater and like it's the first time in a cinema where i've genuinely like not heard a person speak i literally watched a guy take his popcorn out all the heads in the uh in, in the cinema turned around and looked at him and he genuinely like gave a little nod like yeah no not worth it I'll and popped it. it back down again really gently Amazing. and and that's cuz the movie was great and i in my opinion and the the form of it demanded it and so maybe as filmmakers and storytellers we just we have to look at the cinema space as the thing that deserves and demands um that but as you say the tricky thing is a lot of the time the things that deserve and demand a big screen as a story also deserve and demand a big budget you know um so did did that come into mind when you were deciding what to write as your directorial debut because as you said, it's it's essentially a, a lock-in movie, yeah. which from a production point of view means it's one lo- primarily one location. Technically, the, yeah. Therefore, although there is a lot going on in it, uh, when you're first writing, the imagine, I, I'd imagine the thought would be, well, this is going to be easier to get made For sure. because it's not this spanning all over the place. Well, I mean, the interesting thing is you don't really get to choose what the first movie you direct is. Right, yeah, Even yeah. if you're a writer-director. Um, so... You know, I've been writing for 15 years, I guess, and I've been directing things on and off during that time, like music videos yeah, and, yeah. and shorts and stuff like that. But I wrote three spec scripts before this one over the last 10 years yeah. to, to try and be my first yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, movie as a director. And for various different reasons, they didn't get across the line. Like the last one really nearly did. It was at a major studio, but, you know, it needed one of the three or four Chris's to say yes, and the yeah, Chris's were, yeah, yeah. were busy, and like, yeah. and I couldn't get it to them, and um, and so that didn't it needs happen. Needs a Chris or a Ryan? Yeah, it, I mean, like the, the 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 Ryans are real tough. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> I mean, so are the Chris's. I mean, it's, I mean, there's a the, the 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 competing Chris scale actually is you know they move up and down the Chris yeah. charts. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. Uh, about who's trickiest and who isn't yeah. yet. But um, but yeah, and so Artem, and definitely like. The movies, those four movies got smaller and smaller as I wrote specs. Right. You know, like, yeah, that one's too big. Gonna have to write something smaller. Yeah, yeah still smaller again. Yeah. Um, but I also, I mean, again, I don't mind that. And even going forwards, you know, a lot of people do a small movie first nowadays. Yeah. So that they can then go and direct a giant movie. Yes, of course. I, I already get, I'm already really lucky because I get to work on giant movies anyway. Now, not as a director, usually as a writer, sometimes as a producer, um, sometimes as a script doctor or edit doctor, um, which is kind of like my secret job. Um, But so I know how those, those, you know, machines function. And when they are a good machine with great people, usually with a small core of people at the heart, then they are amazing, but they are also, you know, uh, prone those machines to breaking and creating yeah. bad 
fingerprint-free product, and I say product like, you know, on purpose. So, yeah. so I, because I know that, I, I didn't make Artemis just, you know, so that I can now bounce to Jack Ryan 6 or yeah, whatever yeah, it is, yeah, Jack yeah, Ryan's yeah. a TV show now. But, yeah. um, so actually my next one as a director might be even smaller still. Um, or maybe it's a TV show, or maybe it's something that's three hours long, and yeah. then I work out who wants it. You know, yeah, it's a, yeah, yeah. It's a, I, I think, you know, as you can, as you can even tell from this conversation, it's a, it's a process I'm working through, but I think it's a process that everyone that works in um, film is going through, particularly this year. Yeah. You know, because I think it's, we've, it's like we've hit the event horizon yeah. of what movies you should be put in the cinema. Yeah, completely. So, so, so when you were writing, again, from watching it, the characters all seem so perfectly cast. So <laughs> when you were writing, did you have people in mind or did it, is, is it one of them where you've got this story, you've got these characters and then it is the studios kind of going, well, how about we do this? Well, because that? it was an indie, there was no studio. Yeah. Like, so, so, you know, for good or for bad, most of the decisions in it, unless they're, you know, budget based. Yeah. Um, were were by me, yeah. you know. Uh, but no, I mean, it's interesting. People are like, "Did you did you write the central character with Jodie Foster in mind?" No, I'd have to be fucking mental to write a mo- an indie movie with Jodie Foster in mind. I mean, she's literally acted once in the last nine years. Yeah. Um, like, I never thought I was going to get Jodie Foster. Um, the the one character that I did write with someone in mind was Charlie Day for yeah. Acapulco, and that's because he's one of my best mates. Amazing. Um, like, yeah. and so, and by the way, even then. The key is, I think, ne- I mean, the thing to avoid is is writing roles with actors in mind, even when they're your friends. Yeah, quite rightly, um, I told Charlie about the role, and he didn't, even though he's a brilliant, wonderful guy, it's not his job to go, yep, I'll definitely do it. He was like, of cool, course. I'll read it. And then you're like, oh, shit. Like, now I've got, like, the toughest week ahead, because it's not just, like, anyone reading it. It's, it's one of my best mates. Yeah. Um, and luckily he read it and he was like, he was just, he was excited. And, you know, the reason I put him in the role is because, uh, and wrote it for him is there's a side of him I know. And there's, and also I know his history. He's actually a classically trained actor and stuff. Yeah. And I was like, giving Charlie something to really get his teeth into will be exciting to it was watch. was perfect. And I mean, I need to now take on a slight tangent and sh- show you it. something because, um, <laughs> so for years now, me and my goddaughter and her sister and her mum have done yep. these film-based day trips. So right. we dressed up as as the characters from the Life Aquatic at the at the London Aquarium. Brilliant. We did the Lion King at a zoo. But then for our, our Halloween night in, we decided to do Always Sunny. Oh, really? And we didn't have a Charlie, so, <laughs> so I had to carve him out of a pumpkin. But but we did have. That's- is amazing. Everyone else. So just, just a little Danny DeVito will, in his, in his natural. <laughs> Danny DeVito is just amazing. Like, um, you've got to send me that. I I'll send uh, you promise that. I'll show it to Charlie. It, again, it just, we posted that online. It was, it, it, yeah, it's become now just our, interesting our, our thing about Always Sunny. <laughs> like it has, you know, it's a TV show that's been on for 13 years. In America, yeah. it's on FX. I don't know where it is yeah. on in England. On Netflix. It's on Netflix. On Netflix, yeah. Well, I will say this, is the, this is what's interesting. For a show that's been on 13 years, it has this, in the last couple of years, it has this huge audience now, and it's because yeah. of Netflix, but it's almost like kids in America when you talk to them, like people under 20, essentially. Yeah. It's almost like friends yeah. for them. 
Which is yeah, weird because like it, it? it is this much smaller, much less, um, uh, much more esoteric, much less mainstream show. But I think it's a. I think it's because it's all there. Yeah. It's like twelve times thirteen episodes yeah. on, on on Netflix, and you can drop in, and it's not episodic. You can yeah. watch any episode anytime. Completely. Um, and I. Don't, but it's it's been really interesting for the for for the gang that make it because. Uh, They've suddenly got this whole weird new level of relevancy that, yeah. that they didn't expect. It's a bizarre one. Again, it's the impact of the slight non-existence of the world outside of Netflix. Yeah, right. And, and we've seen it. And that's a, a, and that's a giant year. upside to it. Yeah, you know? there was last year, Channel 4 had a, sh- a show called End of the Fucking World, yeah. which was... It was really good. And, it, you know, it, 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 it was bold and it was different. And when it came out... It got a reasonable a reaction. Yeah. And then literally three, four months later, it went onto Netflix mm. and it was in every paper. Everyone was talking about this new show. It's the best thing ever. It's like, <laughs> it literally it's was all on TV. <laughs> literally earlier this year, yeah. like within a year. But it's, it suddenly went on there and was yeah. the biggest thing ever and everyone's talking about it. And it, it is that weird thing. And it's where, it's why when the TV sh- sh- a show I've written, as I said, when... Channel 4 and Sky and people like that have been lukewarm. It's been like, just give it a minute. Because in, in a minute, they're going to have that, sh- that sh- shock yep. of the update that there isn't, as I said, there isn't 10pm shows, there isn't this and that. Because Netflix just goes, oh, here it is. If you don't, that was on Channel 4 as a 10pm show. Yep. As soon as it was on Netflix as just a show, it was one of the most talked about sh- so shows in the, isn't it? of the because, year. I mean, because that is the upside of it. The the terrifying thing as a creator then is you are completely at the mercy of the algorithm. Yeah. Because um, mostly on Netflix, if you make a thing, there's not going to be a billboard campaign or anything like that. It's just you're going to find out about it, A, if they've put a lot of money in it, because then yeah. they'll jam it onto the front page. Yeah. But mostly if, if the algorithm... The, the phantom, the ghost in the machine, decides that the things you've watched before means you might like that. Yeah. And that is, that is in and of itself a wee bit scary, I think, because, again, it suggests that it, a funneling of people's interests to yeah. maybe get tighter and tighter. That said, you then, you know, you can have fantastic breakouts and things can end up having a co- totally different second life. Yeah. Even more than they used to in, like, video and stuff. Yeah. Um, and that's, I, look, I, I don't even think that's the brave new world. I think it's the world we live in right now. Yeah. Um, Couldn't I think agree more. the, the industries around it have probably been too slow to catch up on that. Yeah. Um, and I think it's all, it's often a false thing. I, 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 I adore the BBC, but I've said numerous times that I think they got ahead of the curve completely by accident with their, their iPlayer stuff. Cause oh, it, yeah. it was a case of that they were, were getting rid of BBC three or whatever. And like, Oh, we're putting it on iPlayer, and it was more. A, <laughs> it was basically a soft yeah, elbow. We don't want people oh. to protest us up, yeah, as yeah. they did for Six Music. But yeah. here it is; it's online. And then all of a sudden, it went. Everything was digital, and iPlayer is amazing, and it's got an amazing catalogue of stuff. And, yeah. But I generally think that that was by mistake. So now I think everyone's playing catch up a little bit, uh-huh. and that needs to go more into the commissioning side of things as well. To mm-hmm. go right yeah. and it, on films as well, because films now are the hardest to. To get made, like speaking to Mark at Warp, he was saying how five years ago they were eighty percent films and twenty percent TV, oh, really? and it's now flipped completely oh, I'm sure. to eighty percent TV yeah. and twenty percent films because it's so hard to get films made. But 
as said, I think when production companies start to learn that, accept that you're probably not going to get the cinema. Yeah. But yeah. there's still worth in this, there's still worth in, in Netflix and all of that kind of thing. Then, then I mean, we'll start to get back to having, yeah. That's the thing. It's like, you know, and again, you just have to listen to your idea. You have to look at the real world around you. You know, there's a phrase in Hotel Artemis that the bank robber uh, uses to his brother as, as they're in a, like a failed heist. Yeah. Um, and actually, weirdly applies as a mantra, I think, to making any kind of art. Yeah. And it's work with what you've got, not what you hoped for. And I think yeah. that's really important. I think, and it's, it definitely applies to making movies, you know, what, what you do when you write a script is you should then take a step back and go, okay, I thought I was making this, but what actually have I made? That's yeah. why it's so important to give your script to other people, to show your movie to other people. Amazing. And it's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an absolutely fucking horrible process. Yeah. Um, whether you couch it in notes or whether you just couch it as people's opinions or the look on their face or whatever it is, like it's, it's the one of the least enjoyable parts yeah, of it. Yeah. But it absolutely... In, you know, if there's one thing I've learned over the last kind of 10 years of doing movies, it's you have to put it in front of people and let them beat the shit out of it. Yeah. You don't have to agree with them, whether you're writing or whether you're making it. You absolutely do not have to agree with them. And sometimes, you know, you should run against what they well, think if, they if, want. If, if you've got the right outlook, then if nothing else, it makes you firmer in the bits that are right about it. It will make you fight for them and go, no, here is the reason. I see what you're yeah, saying, but exactly. here's the reason. And on other bits, you'll and say... And by the way, maybe you know I'll what? bring you're that right. out more because yeah. you're not spotting it. Yeah, yeah, and I'll, yeah. I'll see. But it's, it's, there's an interesting thing in um, William Friedkin's amazing autobiography. Right. Um, and, you know, uh, Friedkin did um, The Exorcist. Right, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, And, I mean, he's just an incredible director. And he bangs between genres as well. But um, after The Exorcist, which was essentially like a hit like Star Wars then became, you know, there's some amazing photos in the book of like thousands of people queuing around blocks in New York for like yeah. five hours in its eighth week of release. Like it didn't yeah. even do that well in its, in its first couple of weeks. So it became a genuine cultural phenomenon. And then Freakin was basically allowed to make anything he wanted. And he made some very good incredibly weird films including yeah. like cruising which is you know a snapshot of the uh the gay club scene in 1980 yeah. in new york that has like genuine um uh you know uh sex in you know dark rooms and stuff like that so and but it's it's no the exorcist i would say yeah, it, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. and um and nor does it have to be but freaking himself said that he thinks he made his best work, and specifically in the case of The Exorcist, because there was so much pushback from the studio. Now, he right. didn't really do any of the things that the studio told him to, yeah. but they made him really interrogate the movie and his own work and, exactly. and understand what he felt was most important and what was worth fighting for, what hill is worth dying on. And... Um, uh, and that, and then he didn't have that for his subsequent few, few movies, and and he think uh, he you know he's on record in his book as saying like the movie suffered for not having a level of resistance from yeah. uh, from a studio. Now again, there's a big difference between that and someone just walking into your edit suite and going, take that off, reshoot all of this for for yeah. a month, 
we need a different movie. Yeah. Um, uh, but I, you know, I do think resistance, uh, particularly in filmmaking, I, you know, is, is an important part of the, of the process. Yeah. So speaking of, of studios and opinions, and you touched earlier upon your, uh, your secret job, it is a strange world in LA of, of, of rewrites and, 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 and re-edits and changes and being a script doctor. Um, I've been privy to a lot of it because of our, our mutual friend, Kelly Marcel, Absolutely. who also is, is, is one of the masters of she is. this film isn't working. We need to fix it. Yeah. Get Kelly in. Yep. And, and, but again, it's weird because often those things will be uncredited or yep. un, un, so how is that as, 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 well, as a Brit in LA being like one of those, like, other than spending all your time either in Soho House or up Runyon Canyon, because that's oh. Brits in LA. That's how it happens. They're the, they're the ones you want to avoid. Uh, <laughs> how is that? You won't as... find me and Kelly in Soho House or, <laughs> no, exactly. uh, or up Runyon Canyon. But, you will find us in a little pub in Franklin Village, which is exactly between our houses yeah. on the east side. Or, or, or her house, in fact, is, is where I recorded her, like when she came on the oh, podcast, really? with squirrels popping in and, well, and all sorts of other stuff. Yeah, I mean, but, I'd, I'd, you know... Kelly and her squirrels is a whole different thing. It I, really I don't is. even know how public that is. But, yeah. um, and that makes it sound much more nefarious than it actually is. <laughs> we I mean, touched upon it on the podcast. Okay. Oh, so well, safe, so it's public. Yeah. Kelly loves squirrels. Yeah. Um, but it's a, look, it's an interesting world. It's the, the, the old term of script doctoring mm. almost doesn't really apply yeah. anymore. We, we haven't found a new word for it. Yeah. And there's also. There's lots of different stages of it. Mostly studio movies, and again, because they're getting bigger and bigger, they will have an initial writer, then other people will come on during the writing process, yeah. usually working essentially with, in tandem with whatever director has then come on, yeah. and then finally it gets shot. Um, but on bigger movies in particular, uh, there are two kinds of, of writing that come on in addition to that. And, and there are a few of us who do it, and... Uh, I personally try not to do it too often um, because I think it's important to have a balance of what you do, but yeah. it is a skill set. Um, and, and it's actually a job I really enjoy as well. Yeah. Um, and so one part of that is what's called the production rewrite. Yeah. And that's instead of signing up to do a draft of a script, however long that will take, the studios will bring you in when, for example, a movie is three months out or of shooting or yeah. eight weeks out of shooting yeah. or even shooting. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and there'll be very specific problems, be they giant or small. Yeah. And uh, you get paid by the week. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that fee is often affected by if they're eight months out or three months 100%. out or actually shooting. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and, and the pressure, uh, you know, goes along with that. Yeah, you know, of there's, course. Uh, I did a, a movie where for a week I had to deliver new pages to Spielberg at 9 p.m. every night. So every Amazing. morning you get up at five and you're like, shit, whatever I write today is going to be read by Spielberg at the end of the day. And that's a weird pressure. Yeah, that's, that's a huge, um, and that's why, you know, and so that there's, there's a group of us that specifically, um, sometimes get pulled in to do that. And honestly, you're only as good as the last one you did. Yeah. Because they, because if I run a studio and someone essentially signs up, uh, for, for a weekly and I'm four weeks out, uh, and they, you're, what you're essentially signing up for is in the game of believe, you're signing up as the writer to go, don't worry. I can fix it. I got this. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Exactly. And if, 
you then fuck it up, then I, if I'm the head of that studio, I very much remember the name I wrote on the check. Um, uh, and the fact that I didn't save it. Um, and by the way, save. Uh, is a very general term. Of course. Sometimes it is just fix a bit. A specific problem. Yeah. Or a specific, um, yeah. And then, and that, but increasingly, and I, there's a phrase in America called, but where they describe something as inside baseball, which is like, you know, when it's, when you're talking about a thing that's just too in, and I hope yeah. this part of the conversation isn't no, 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 wildly yeah. fucking boring no, for no, anyone no. other than, than the three people that are left, um, <laughs> or that even came after they saw it was a person they'd never heard of. Um, but the, uh, the really like, um, fascinating area for me now is, is basically when, uh, a big movie shoots and they usually shoot for about 70 to a hundred days. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a release date, usually about a year from when the shoot is. And invariably, because they, the release date comes before the script, yeah. more often than not, the script isn't necessarily in a great place by the time they start rolling. Yeah. Um, and what's increasingly become very common is you just you shoot the script you have at the beginning, you go to the edit, you see what the movie then needs, and then instead of calling it like, pickups to do more yeah. shooting or reshoots they're not you're not reshooting anything no. often you are doing additional photography you are working out That's what the mad, story needs it? it was always a draft uh, yeah but you were yeah, filming yeah. a draft and again such. like sometimes i think the the old way of thinking about it and actually what you know does sometimes happen is yeah the script was a bit shit and we filmed the script and it, uh, let's see how we can make yeah. the end movie better but there's another way of looking at it which is that it follows the iterative process that, for example, a Pixar movie yeah. does, which is, you know, they make and remake their movies for yeah. both at script form and at animatic form and then in yeah. final animation form right up until the end yeah. for f- five years, sometimes ten. Yeah. Um, and it's one of the reasons that Pixar movies are so often great is because they've had the time to to a fix problems but b like really know what the movie is the trouble with that when you're doing live action is it's so expensive yeah like to ramp up production again you know yep. there, there's there's a and, and and the fact that the actors are actors and they go from job to job and Absolutely. so on and so, so to tie everyone in to go oh we need you back next week so i'm not available for four months now oh yeah uh, hence, so now we hence Henry, Henry Cavill's, you know, um, uh, infamous lack of an upper lip in Justice League, right? Because he couldn't, because the Mission Impossible team were like, would well, he can't shave the moustache? The moustache is a big part of right, the thing. right. And so Henry Cavill did the four weeks of reshoots on on uh, on Justice League with a giant moustache that they then had to digitally remove in Amazing. every single shot, and. There's so much of that stuff. That's yeah. what's that's what that's when it's infuriating is is just the insane inefficiencies that can kind yeah. of come with that part of the process. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole culture now in Los Angeles of brilliant behind the scenes people, like proper heads of the department, like cinematographers, like yeah. production designers, um, who because mo- mostly like big movies just never shoot in Los Angeles, yeah. right? Because there's no tax credits. I was yeah. very lucky. Hotel Artemis, I, because it's small enough, I got to shoot it in, in LA, which is where I live. Fantastic. Um, 
But mostly it's Atlanta, it's Vancouver, it's London, yep. it's uh, Detroit, it's, it's wherever there's a tax break that you can jam the movie into. But the reshoots always happen, or invariably happen, back in Los Angeles. Right. And so there is now a culture of these amazing behind-the-scenes um, artists that, d- that won't go do the big movie in Atlanta because, you know, they've got, like, a 14-year-old and they want to be in the same town that their kid goes to school and they don't want to leave for 10 yeah. months. Um, and because the reshoots themselves are so long, like, I, you know, I, some of these I wouldn't name the names of them, but, like, I know of a movie that got released last year where the reshoots were eight weeks um, yeah. in L.A., um, which means that's actually a seven-month gig yeah. if you're behind the camera. Yeah, yeah, You yeah. can have a great living yeah. um, just doing that stuff. Just, now, doing the, just picking it all up. Yeah, the, the trouble is how satisfying is that? Because, yeah. like, you know, more often than not, you are, you know, as much as I make it sound highfalutin and it's, like, it's iterative, it's part of the storytelling process, more often than not. You are fixing it. You are patching up yeah. holes. You know, you are... And again, the, the, anyone who's a writer and a, a creative, I think it's, it's a combination of the two. Jobs like that are, are working your muscles. They're exercising you. They're keeping you sharp. I, I, that's so true. You see, that's, that's the other thing. Again, I don't think you want to do it all the time yeah. because you become that thing. Mm-hmm. But I honestly... There are a ton of skills that I picked up and honed by doing that kind of forensic and again, studio stuff that, that folded back into it's Artemis. It's making you see other people's scripts and what works and what 100%. doesn't. 100%. When I was first starting a script writing, I spoke to Kelly and said, what books should I read on script writing? She said, don't read any, read uh, scripts. Yeah, I never did. She said, g- 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 get some good scripts, get films you love, and she sent me a load of hers and all sorts of other stuff. It's like, read them and learn from that. So you're seeing what you like and what you dislike. Yeah. And, 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 and going off that. And that's an ideal thing. If you're having to look at scripts that don't work, then you can see where the mistakes are and what the corrections are. And that's a great way to learn for when you're then like, right now I've got time to do the one that's my idea and my passion project and whatever else. And Absolutely. Plus there's also, you know, the, the, the horror of being a script writer is however much a scene may work on a page when it gets shot, it may simply not work. Yeah. And there can be a million reasons from that that can be your fault, it can be the weather on the day, it can be one of the actors never nailed oh, 100%. it. hundred percent. Or it could just be the weird negative alchemy that is, okay, that scene doesn't work. And that's a really interesting thing. It can be heartbreaking. Oh, my like, God. I, it's, I, it's, I did a film at the end of last year and I saw the, the, the final edit of it, of it a week or two ago and my scene that was my hardest scene on the day has been cut. But it's because <laughs> it, was, it was outside and it was raining. Right. And we tried to cover it as much as we could yep. and get away with it, but none of the other evening shoots had rain. Well, so I, literally the whole bit that I, like, I spent all night and uh, I, had a, I had a stunt to do and all sorts of stuff like that. And it's like, we worked all, but couldn't, it, it couldn't work the way it wanted because of are, rain. And there are also times when the scene is absolutely... And this, again, you know, seeing this in other people's movies because of doing this more forensic work um, is really helpful. Because there are times when the scene itself is perfect. Everyone did nail it. But when you zoom back and take the 30,000 foot view of the movie, you don't need that scene. Um, You just don't need it. And and the movie feels long. So, well, what happens if we take it? And and like the day in the edit that you take out your favorite scene. Yeah. It's so painful. And then invariably you watch it and you instantly know it was the right decision. It's valid though, because it's looking at it as... 
an album rather than a collection of singles. Right. Yeah, it's, totally. It's, it's, it's saying it all needs to flow together, and this this one scene, well, that is going to someday be in one of your future films or this person's <laughs> future films. It'll be amazing. You'll yeah. make that again. Yeah, but it's not right for this. No, no. For this moment, and people know that you cut. You know, people in the world, I think, know that you have to cut lines when you're. Yeah. But but I don't think people realise that sometimes you have to cut what were the best bits now yeah. and, and again like if you're in control of the edit then if you still absolutely love something that it might be the scene that was the whole reason you ever thought of the movie yeah um you can keep it in and if you'd asked me a year ago i would have said you should keep it in because yeah. it's the reason you you made the movie but again i think you have to listen to the thing you've made I think you have to work with what you've got, not what you hope for. Yeah. And nine times out of ten, I would say, uh, you know, that scene's got to go. Completely. And, and, and it's, it's a skill to have that strictness on that. A yeah. great example I have is I remember being mates with Tom Hardy and a few of them yeah. through Kelly. I remember hearing that they had done a scene in the new Star Wars film. And this is all publicly out there. Yeah, right? no. I've done a film in the new Star Wars film. And then when it came out, that scene had been cut. And again, that's 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 a hard choice to make, but it didn't work in no. in the story in in the edit. They've secretly got a really good Easter egg there that could have got them some good press to Absolutely. be secretly. We've got Tom Hardy, we've got this person and that person, but no, it didn't. Plus, also, it like make the cut Tom's it a big read. star, like having to call Tom yeah. or Tom's people, yeah. depending on you know your 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 speed and mileage, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. and say. It was, you know, that day way, that you told everyone in your family about, and maybe your kid, if yeah, you've got a yeah, kid, yeah, yeah. like you know, where you got to be in Star Wars. Bad news. You're not. Uh, you're not in it. It's hard. It's a hard call to uh, make. Uh, I know actors who've turned up to premieres not realizing that their their appearance has been absolutely Mate, ribboned. Hands up! I got an in- <laughs> I got an invite to the I'm King sorry. Arthur premiere, which is my yeah. first ever thing. And I only realised later, the reason I got the invite is because of the podcast. Oh, really? Because I got the invite, and I, I, I didn't go in then, but I'd, I'd, I'd hit my agent up saying, oh, I've been invited, blah, blah. And no, I'd spoken to Neil Maskell, who right. was also in it, and he was amazing. He really helped me out a lot and guided me along. And he said, oh, the cast and crew is a couple of days before. That's far m- more fun. Come to that. Yeah. So I hit them up, and then I got an email saying, oh, we meant to let you know the story arc. Because, again, it was another one that had... Almost half a year of, of reshoots because yeah. there was big changes. Yeah. So it came out over a year late and things yeah. like that. And the story arc I was on, that whole arc had been taken out. Therefore, wow. all of my scenes. And oh, I'd no. shot for a few weeks on it. So it was, it was like, it wasn't, <laughs> it's not like I'd had one day, but yeah. all of it was gone. And that was it. I found out. I'm glad I'd sent that email and right. spoken to Neil rather than just turned up at the premiere with either my mum or my girlfriend or whoever else <laughs> being like, this is exciting, and then watched it and been. <laughs> I'm not in it, am I? Yeah, I know. And, and, and the <laughs> but other... again, equally, I was, I was fine because I got the experience. It was my first ever acting experience. I got yeah. to be di- directed by Guy Ritchie and all this, work with these people. And equally, I understand how it works. It, it, yeah. Having seen the film, it got panned a bit. I really enjoyed it. And I felt it, the, the corrections they'd made is what made it great. The, yeah. the issues they'd hit where they'd had to remove a story, it felt like it made them do some classic Guy Ritchie kind of a guy doing a voiceover and telling a story yeah. over quick cuts and stuff like that, which yeah. m- might not have been there if, if they hadn't. No, I d- and look, and that's the other thing, again, cliche though it is, um, the chaos of making things, yeah. again, um, c- can often 
make the thing stronger because yeah. you're making decisions in the moment. You're, you're again, you're kind of listening to everything that's happening around you. Um, Chris McQuarrie, who uh, made, uh, who directed the last two Mission Impossible movies, yes. um, who I was lucky enough to work with on Rogue Nation um, at the script stage. You know, he talks about that because those movies are, you know, he went into the new Mission Impossible with a 33-page script. Yeah. And they ended up shooting for, I think, 185 days. Yeah. Um, and again, like, as long as someone's willing to write the checks for that, um, he and Tom have become, Tom, yeah. um, have become incredibly adept at that being their modus operandi. But what, even Macquarie, who, like, who probably has more experience of, like, keeping a blockbuster on the rails when there's not that much on the page. Yeah. Even he says, but I'm not going to be the one that like creates chaos on purpose to do that. Sure. That's mental. Yeah, like that's yeah, yeah. absolutely mental. And it's, and it's also kind of stupid. Yeah. Like that's, that's like a psychosis. Yeah. Um, yeah. The act of making a movie will absolutely throw a million challenges at you anyway. Yeah. So, um, but it's the key to, to, you know, how you deal with it in the moment that often actually makes the movie good or not. And, 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 and uh, this is just a small side note, but Rogue Nation is, is, is an important movie for me because, um, every year on my birthday, it's, it's this Friday, August 3rd. Happy um, birthday for August 3rd. I go to the cinema often on my own in the morning because that's what I love to do. I love to be in the cinema yeah. and, and that's it. And one year, I think, I can't remember w- 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 what film was out at the same time, but I'd lined up something that was a bit more alternative and hip and trendy. I can't think of what it was now. But then the opportunity to see it in the week came up earlier, so I'd seen it. So on my birthday, I was like, I like the Mission Impossible films. I'll go and see Rogue Nation. And it was w- w- one of the most fun times I've had in the cinema. Because just from start to finish, it's it's such a... Like we were speaking yeah. of cinema films. It's such a cinema film. Wow. I sat there with... My hot dog and my ice cream. Yeah, and everything. Right. it was just Damn it was right. absolutely perfect, and and that was the kind of thing. It was that people will tell you that birthdays should be about you. You're going out and getting drunk or doing this or doing that. I was like, that was one of my favourite birthdays because oh, I was bet. just sat there just watching a proper cinema film. Yep, and just enjoying it all. And I, you know, and I, I that is movies as rides. You yeah. know, is a kind of term that gets derided you yeah. know because but partly because it denotes denotes the idea that it's just that it'll be a theme park ride yeah what macquarie and tom have absolutely worked out and particularly if you see fallout yeah is is mission impossible movies are rides yeah. that doesn't mean they're like 100 miles an hour every single second sure but like you are you know it, i think can be an emotional ride as well as an adrenalized yeah. ride yeah, yeah, and yeah. um uh, and I think, again, it speaks to that thing of, like, an audience being used to controlling their narrative now because of Netflix. If you make, if you craft that ride, be it emotionally or uh, action-led, well enough and expertly enough, um, then they're not going to get up and have yeah. a piss uh, or yeah. look on their phone or because you, you, cause you're in. Exactly. It's immersive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I, but it's hard to do. It's hard to do. Yeah. And, it ta- you know, it takes skill and experience and some luck and a lot of resources usually it's fascinating to see when we have those rare situations that people get to work together continually that quite obviously that pays off and mission impossible is a prime example of they get they seem to be getting 
received better and better as they go along. It's a franchise that's improving yeah. because it's them working together and, and Tom, again and Tom again. Tom and McHugh have been working together. They've done nine movies yeah. in 12 years. Yeah. Like, they know how to work together. Um, that makes so much sense, but it's so rare. It's so it often rare. that everyone has to go off and just do all these different things. Oh, I've worked with them now. Yeah. Let's do this. Yeah, and, and it used to be much less rare. I mean, I think you still see it in a lot of the, the smartest actors. Yeah. Um, we talked about the Ryans earlier. Um, yeah. Gosling absolutely tends to favour the same group of yeah. directors yeah, um, yeah, because yeah. he trusts them, you know, yeah. and they understand him, they understand his process. And, yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I mean, and behind the camera, you do it the whole time. Yeah. Um, you know, if you find a cinematographer that you love and and of course. his or her work suits the next movie, then you're definitely going to go to them first. Yeah. Right. I mean, we're over, over the hour mark. And there's tons I wanted to talk about, but there's two (laughs) things I need to make sure I get in. Yeah, sure. And one of them is, can we talk about the day you got to to bring your kid to set on your debut movie, on the film that you've crafted and written and and No one's ever asked me that. How was that? There's there's a kind of preamble to that. Yeah. So I've got a couple of lads, one's seven, one's one and a half, and um, the, the second kid was born... And then two weeks later, Hotel Artemis was suddenly a go. Wow. So that was, that was fucking insane. Yeah. Um, and, but I was like, you know what? I've, I'm a smart guy. I've put this in LA. Yeah. Um, uh, that means I, you know, I can, I can still be a dad. Yeah. And I can make my, my first movie. Oh, um, how foolish. I, well, I literally, like, and then I was in the pub with Taika Waititi. Um, brilliant filmmaker, right. obviously. He's one and, of my absolute favourites. Oh, he's, yeah, he's, he's amazing. Genius. He's a force of nature. And, uh, and he was like, oh, you fucked that. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, yeah, you, you, you need to be as far away from all other commitments as possible. Yeah. And he's, you know, and he, he explained it really well, actually, because he was like, a, a broken promise is much worse than... Uh, than um, the reality of what will happen. Yeah. Um, and so... I'm, if, I'm a big believer in under-promise and over-deliver <laughs> than, than over-promise and under-deliver. Because, I mean, again, it is the way it just goes... It's the story of my life. Yeah. But, um, um, <laughs> but, uh, but he was like, you know, if, the, if your kid knows you're gone, yeah. that's, that's tough on them, but they'll get their head around that. But they if, know what it is. Yeah, they know what it is. If you say you're going to be home for bath time and then you don't, that's a more acute thing. And by the way, or you get home for bath time, but because directing is so all-consuming, you're completely vacant anyway. And, uh, and that's a lesson in all warps of life. I think so. Yeah, yeah. This isn't inside baseball. This is this yeah. is real. This is that. I agree uh, completely. That that yeah, that awareness. And again, I've I've had friends in the past who uh, will you know will be out and they'll be calling home saying I'll be home home soon, and I'll yeah. be like thinking. You've just ordered shots. You know you're not going to. You know it's going to be a while. And again, if you just said, yeah. "Oh, I haven't caught up with these guys in a while. I'll be home about midnight." Then that that would be fine. But because you're saying, "No, absolutely. I won't be long," that it then becomes this horrible thing. And I it's, think, that, it's I think that's right. And I think you know it's one of those things I found easier, not easier, um, in as I've gotten a bit older yeah. as well. Um, partly, probably through the experience of like realizing that the the broken promise version kind of just gives me a kick in the bollocks uh, yeah. more than anyone else. Yep, yep, yep. But um, but yeah. So so the weird thing was, even though I, we shot the movie in LA and my family are in LA, I actually had to get this horrible little 
cheap divorced dad apartment next to the studio, which is only like two and a half miles away from my yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was like a coffin, literally, because like it had glass windows, but they hadn't afforded to put um, blinds on them, and half of the movie was shot at night anyway, right. so I had to sleep. So, just- so literally, just I just taped black paper up around oh, the wow. entire... So it was yeah. a fairly... You know, one could call it a monastic experience. Yeah. It was also a bit like living in a coffin for the eight weeks of directing my movie. Get it. So, but what was great is that um, once I got my, you know, feet under the table a bit after, you know, the first couple of weeks as a director, I was able to, you know, my older kid was, was able to come down and be on set. And honestly, the first day he came down, it's so cheesy, but it's also entirely true. It is the most proud I've ever been, like on on a working day. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, and again, it was possible because it's an indie movie. It's a smaller machine, like you know. But like you know, he got to sit next to me on on a director's chair at the monitors. Um, You know, he got to uh, he got to shout action for a couple of scenes. Yeah. Um, He got to see Sophia Boutella's amazing action sequence um, take place. And it's it's amazing. And he genuinely, and again, this is one of the lovely things about it, he watched Sophia kick 11 uh, male stuntmen's asses. And and then he turned to me and he was like, I want to be her. Yeah. Um, But it was, you know, and so... It's beautiful as well because it's a beautiful experience to share, but it's also an education of context for yeah. why is that away? Cause no matter how much you tell or explain, yep. it will still be a dad's not here this week or whatever else it'll yeah. be. That moment makes it all go, all oh, right, I get it. This is why it's for something great. It's for something positive. Yeah, it's it's right. not just going, oh, I'm at the office. Yes. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah, not just I'm, that, I mean, which again, as a kid, you might not be able to understand or compute. Yeah, so. But I think it's also important. Like, um, uh, to all the parts of the releasing a movie yeah. I've tried to share and I don't I don't it's, it's funny I don't I, I don't tend to I, I don't social media my kids there's not yeah. a picture of their faces on yeah. online they can you know they can make that decision themselves so Perfect. I don't really talk, talk about it much but there was there's um one thing that was interesting is you know the movie came out in America and uh, it got some great reviews and it got some really negative reviews right. and they bummed me out because truthfully, I didn't, it's not like I expected everyone to like it, but the people that didn't like it, I expected them to be like, eh, it's just a movie. Like, um, and some of them were for reasons that I still don't really understand, like wildly vicious. It's it's the mad thing when you're first releasing anything is you forget how little you read reviews before. (laughs) Because I don't read reviews again. It was a shock to me earlier on when you were saying it's been for some people and it's not been because I watched, I was like, this is amazing. I assumed everyone loves no, this. I assumed this is what I mean. It was, the weird thing. It was that thing. But as soon as, I, again, I've had it with music. Uh, as soon as we put something out, it was like caring about every single review. It's like, I've never read that magazine. I've yeah. never cared about, I don't know who that person is. <laughs> they've got no context yet. They're yeah. affecting my life and mood. And well, it's and, natural. Yeah. It's and, and by natural. the way, and that is the thing. It does affect your life and mood. And it should, because if you care about a thing, then then it's going to feed back into your life. But if what I was... If someone's talking shit on it, yeah, you're going yeah. to be like, what? Well, and, and I felt like it was really important because my kid, my older kid had been there, like, through the experience of me um, making a movie, my yeah. first movie, and though the he will not see it for years yeah. because I will not let him because it is not suitable because no. he's seven. Sure. Um, he will... Um, when it came out, 
I wanted to share that part as well because I do think genera- generationally there is a thing at the moment where, you know, we, um, I'm sure I've helicopter parented him into, you know, thinking that, uh, you know, that you sh- can't fail and to be afraid of failure. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, well, I need to share the downsides of creativity with him That's as well. Yeah. And so I was like, you know what? I'm I'm a bit bummed out today, and uh, and and I explained to him like you make a thing. Some people don't like it. Some people do like it. You can't control that. You shouldn't control that. No. And actually, it, I think it it was part of the reminder to me of like, oh, I didn't fucking make this for everyone to like it. Yeah. I made it for the people who get it to get it. Yeah. Um. And that was it. Was nice to be able to kind of like to feed that back in. You know. Yeah. That's beautiful. And uh, again, yeah, it's a beautiful thing to get to share those things and to to give those life lessons as you're learning them oh, yes, as well, if you know yeah. what I mean. So it's not just, here's dad, I'll tell you. It's going, no, no, no. Oh, I'm surprised. This, this is, is affecting me more than I thought. This is yeah, happening exactly. live in the room. It's a, um, it's, it's a beautiful a, a lesson to give. So as I wrap things up, I yeah. just wanted to talk a little bit about the the rumours I've read and the, the vagueness around the ghost Busters movie that yeah. you that you were working on. I don't know how yeah. much you can say or can't say. I know um, this industry is not. I mean, one. like technically, I don't know how much I can say either, so I won't give you like the full yeah. shebang. But honestly, it was actually really simple. It was just it, it's one of those frustrating things where the reality of a situation was wildly misrepresented. Yeah, and um, refuting those repu- uh, those um uh you know the reports claims were reports. kind of was only going to make it weirder and harder yeah, yeah, but yeah. basically the russo brothers wanted to make a ghostbusters movie they asked me if i had any ideas i had an incredibly wild idea that and they were like yes we should do that <laughs> um they'd been talking about a couple of male actors and so that ended up becoming part of the conversation but actually the idea was a was was two blokes, two women, and a ghost. That was the ghost busting team in it. Right. But what happened was, for some reason, it leaked as a. This is the male um, uh, Ghostbusters and the female Ghostbusters, which was the one that was already in production yeah. with Paul Feig. You know, it, it's the answer to that. And there'd already been a bunch of shit by idiots online who didn't want a female Ghostbusters, of and so. We became some kind of false totem yeah. for them, um, and then it all got horribly messy because um, you know Ivan Reitman, who is the uh, the you know the, the original director of the amazing first Ghostbusters yeah. movie, you know he announced that I was writing it, and then weirdly um, like put out a statement saying there is only one Ghostbusters movie. And that was weird because it came from the same person. Um, yeah. And that confused everyone even more. But truth be told, all that really happened was we developed a, a movie. Um, the female Ghostbusters was always ahead in production. They made it um, and our movie went away, yeah. you know, which yeah. happens every day. Constantly. Like, yeah. Constantly. So weirdly, it wasn't, it wasn't that controversial. I'm just... I'm sad because uh, we had a really good idea and the Russos nailing a big Ghostbusters movie would be fucking brilliant. Who knows? Maybe it it comes back around. You never know. 
But like, no, the whole idea of ours was like to do a Ghostbusters that wasn't about a group of scientists. Right. Because that felt like, oh, that's a totally different way into the universe. Of course. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. It. So, so I doubt it will ever happen. I definitely doubt it will happen with me involved, but I, you know, and we never even wrote a script, but like I wrote a scriptment, yeah. which is, you know, like a 20 page version of it. And yeah. I, and I love it. And the Russos loved it. Um, so who knows who in the knows? wild and woolly world of show business? Exactly. So the the perfect way to wrap things up then, do you know, I normally ask what's ahead, but do you know what's ahead? Do you have an idea or plan of what you want to do next, whether it be writing or directing or producing well, or, or where? I mean, personally speaking, what I hope to do after Hotel Artemis and some of the other stuff is continue to make small writer-director movies, yeah. smaller writer-director movies, but keep working as a writer and producer on the giant ones. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Because, you know, the absence makes the heart grow, grow fonder. Do, you know, directing a tiny indie movie for two years makes you miss just being the the, the writer yeah. on a giant uh, train set. Of 100%. 100%. Um, and vice versa. You do that for a bit, and then you're like, fuck, I just want to get back to, you know, directing. Well, that's it. Um, it so anything, anything other than the thing you're director doing. <laughs> or, or write a director is always a project that you do your work on and then you walk away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas as the, the writer director, less, there's know. no walking away no. at any point. You're no, there no, no. from that. Like, like even for the actors, you're, you're there for this moment. You have your big rap party, yeah, and then you're on to the next. Film. Yeah, and the, your head's the director the, is still in that film. And your head's until, above the parapet, you know. Um, so, so honestly, a mix of those things is, is what I want to do. I mean, like. I know what my next big thing is yeah. um, as a as a writer and producer, and that's really exciting. But I can't talk about it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and and I've got and I've got a bunch of ideas that I want to be as, that do as my ne- next thing as a director. I think again, it kind of comes back to a lot of what we've talked about, which is where does this idea live? Yeah, and how best can this this story be told and so that's actually one of the things i'm just working out now and that's exciting it should be exciting i love that well thank you very much for your time and i'll let you you get on your day and i'll let these people get back to having the basement of of the queen of hoxton have kindly let us uh, uh absolutely come in and, and chat away the last time i was here i was in a very different state uh, uh, <laughs> any clubs in the daytime are just it's weird isn't it also like i'm 40 i don't go to clubs i don't go to yeah, clubs yeah, anymore yeah, yeah. Like, um, this I, is the I, closest I've come to the I, Queen of Hoxton. I run a club night up the road, which is at the book club, which is, is the sister venue of this. And I only go to clubs when it's my club night. <laughs> it's, it's that thing. Me and the guy I ran with, Stu, were saying the other day, I was like, I'm loving this, but I wouldn't be here if we, if we, if we weren't doing this. <laughs> I'd be at home watching The idea of Netflix. being up that late makes me want to cry a bit. Completely. Actually, so. um, all right, thank man, you well, very much thank for your you. time. Thanks it's been for a having pleasure. me. There we go. That was Drew Pierce. I hope you enjoyed that. I absolutely adored it. It was, it's a real kind of behind the curtain of the film industry, which you don't get to hear or see very often. So I was delighted with that. Um, We mentioned Kelly Marcel, who was a previous guest. Feel free to go and check that one out. She's one of my favorite humans ever invented. So that's good. And yeah, 
As I mentioned, I've started a Patreon now, patreon.com slash scroobiuspip. Um, a dollar a month, that is it. You can go and have a look at what's at what's going on over there. Yeah, thank you for tuning in. I'll be back next week with Angel, um, who I believe is one of the best guests I've ever had, and it's going to blow your minds. Um, you're going to be tweeting about it and going crazy on, on social media about it. So, yeah, check that out, and I will see you next week. Tat, oh, I should, oh, I sh- you know, I should always mention that my club night is back September 29th at the book club. I've got Dan Lassac DJing, I've got Get Cape, Wear Cape, Fly DJing, I've got DJ Destruction, Push Music, Hardcore Listing DJs, and myself DJing in a rubber lizard mask. Come down to the book club, I will see you then. You can pre-buy tickets at the book club's website, it's the book club London or the book club Hoxton or something. Um, or you can put your names on the guest list by emailing info at the trash society.com. So, uh, yeah, I will see you all soon. Ta ta.